you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock a.m. at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. coordinator if you aren't familiar with my face I'm I'm usually back there um, I I know the past few times I've been up here I think Chad has gotten that question of who is that yeah who was that guy and uh, for a little bit as I'm looking out here that's sort of my question too is who is that guy but um, it has been really great to be here at Andover I've been here since September um, and so getting to be a part of this church and um, just transitioning from one chapter into the next has been really wonderful. Um, I, when I first got here, I think we were maybe two, three weeks out, and I realized that I hadn't actually stepped foot in this building. I hadn't experienced a worship service here. I hadn't actually got to talk with any of you. Um, and so I asked Chad the basic question of, can I get a tour? <laughs> uh, so... I came out on probably a Monday or Tuesday, and you know he gave me the the long tour from one end of the building to the other, um, and kind of told me a little bit about the history of the church, the the two pastors that had been here before him, how the sanctuary didn't used to have these walls, how the Sunday school rooms came out into it, and you know that was a whole change. How um, you know you all had just started building the pavilion outside, the additions to the building that it was sort of that question of do we want a fellowship room or do we want another Sunday school room and some office space um, and so I'm about to hit that flower I need to be careful um, but this sense of just hearing about your all story about who you are and where you've been and where you're going in the midst of all the stuff that's going on right we just came out of this pandemic there's uh, denominational kind of hubbub in the air of what is going on and it's just been so great to hear this story. And I'm telling you this idea of your all story because I feel like it's a really good position for where we are today with our text. You see, we are in the season of Epiphany. Um, if the little countdown video, if you got to see that at all, I know it's sometimes hard to see with light shining, um, or even I think the front of your bulletin will say, he's faithful or God is faithful, something along those lines. Um, that's kind of been our focus in this season, God's faithfulness. And week after week, we have been talking about these texts in Isaiah, where Isaiah is coming before the people of Israel, and he's asking, commanding, demanding, I don't know how you put it. There's authority, prophesying, there's, there's authority there um, of saying, repent of your sins, put down your idols and turn back to God. Because if you do those things, Babylon's not going to come wipe you out. There is a chance. And as it progresses, it's, it's saying, look, I've, we've, we've told you. I've given you opportunity after opportunity to put down your idols, to repent of your sins, to turn back to God. But now this exile is coming. 
Today, however, we're in a different kind of chapter. We're, we're turning back the dial. We're in Deuteronomy, which has this really interesting place in Scripture. So you start, let's say, over here, and you're in Genesis. You get this story of how God created all things. You get this story of fall and how God chooses one family to continue to bring about his blessing to the rest of creation. That moves you into Exodus where Israel is trapped in slavery in Egypt and God brings about Moses. He uses Moses to deliver them from Egypt. They go to Mount Sinai. They receive the commandments. They break their covenant. They, you know, are intercessed for by Moses. He prays for them. And God says, fine, you know, I'll still be with you. I'll still go with you. And here's the instructions for the tabernacle, the place where I am going to dwell. And so from there, you kind of get this weird little bit at the end. It's like a one-sentence thing that Moses can't enter the tabernacle. You jump into Leviticus. And you get all these rules, all these laws, these offerings, these holidays, these um, holiness codes might be one way that you hear them talked about. You go through all the way through the book of Leviticus, and it's this whole kind of idea. You jump into Numbers. Numbers is that trek from Sinai where they received the covenant. Moses can now enter the tabernacle, and they're making their way to the promised land. But, of course, they get to the promised land, and Israel's kind of, they're hesitant. They're saying, ah, I, I don't think we can do that. You know, these two say that we can, but the rest of us, we're, we're not so sure about it. So they wander in the desert for 40 years until that generation is long and gone, and that brings you to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, they are at the edge of the promised land. The new generation is there, and they are ready to cross over. And you get what is this kind of series of sermons, so to speak, right? Uh, the first, I think, four or five chapters, Moses goes through that history. He tells them where they've been, what they've done, and then for the next, like, 26 chapters, maybe, I want to say, you just get reiteration of everything that you got in Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. You're going to see a lot of stuff that sounds very familiar. And you're like, why am I reading this again? That was a lot, and I have to do it again? <laughs> uh, but there's some differences, right? Um, one of the ways that I've heard it talked about is, well, you have the original law that's given, and it's given to this migratory people as they're going from Sinai to the Promised Land. This new law is contextualized a bit so that they know how to be God's people in a settled land. What's also neat is that you get this kind of back and forth idea. Um, what starts as the oral tradition, right, of this idea of obey God's commandments and you will find life, gets carried all the way down the road until you get to Isaiah, who's been steeped in this language. He, he understands what's going on, and so he's prophesying to Israel, saying, look, you are choosing death. This is the exact same thing that Moses was talking about. Choose life. And that gets carried on to those who finally compile that as they come back from the exile. They compile that into the book that we now know as Deuteronomy. And in this whole story, this whole idea, we're kind of left in what does it mean to be faithful? What does it mean to live in this mindset of life and death? Because it, it can be 
harsh, right? As we, as we hear these words, we begin to wonder, is this, is this really who God is? As we look at the New Testament and we see Christ, we maybe kind of etch back a bit and we say, well, that's, that's the Old Testament God. Or maybe we say, ah, I'm, I'm just going to wait until we get to the Jesus-y part. Um, some of you might even be thinking, like, that's right, you don't go crossing God, because if you cross God, you're going to get death, right? And I'm not here to judge where you stand on that. It's just we can either accept it, or we can feel hesitant, or we can deny it. That's part of what it means to kind of be in this text. But I think that this idea of life and death, it's not a matter of trying to earn favor, right? I think we can all agree that we're not here with a mindset of earning God's favor, that this idea extends all throughout the Torah, where Deuteronomy is an end cap. It really mirrors that start in Genesis, where Joseph, a man who remains faithful to God in the midst of prison, in the midst of brotherly hatred and fighting, remains faithful and everything that he does produces life. In the midst of a jail, great things happen. In the midst of Potiphar's house, great things happen. And in the midst of being next to Pharaoh's right-hand man, great things happen. Life flourishes in the midst of a famine. Before Joseph, there's Jacob, a man who's scheming and trying to get every single blessing he can and you see him become the father of a mighty nation. Before Jacob, there's Isaac. And everywhere that Isaac goes, he's digging up wells, he's planting fields, and crops pop up. In the midst of, again, famine. Famine's a lot of, in, if you read through Genesis, there's a lot of famine, okay? <laughs> Isaac is just bringing forth life everywhere he goes as he remains faithful to God. Abraham is the pinnacle for this. We see him himself being the blessing to others. Go, I will lead you into this new nation. I will make you a blessing to others. Those who bless you, I will bless, and those who curse you, I will curse. Even to Adam and Eve, there's the sense of, you know, they are created and they're giving that blessing to rule, to multiply and be fruitful, subdue the land, and that's carried on to Noah after the ark. And at the start of our scripture, there's this idea of God bringing forth life out of desolate situations, out of chaotic waters, out of dry land where nothing grows. God brings forth life, and he himself is that blessing. He is the life that comes from the blessing. And so when we think about what it means of choosing life and death, it's not simply just doing good things and making sure I'm staying tick for tack and not missing a beat, but instead it's a matter of am I choosing to live in a state of creation or am I choosing to step away from that, to separate myself and be in a position of chaos or decreation, right? This is that choice of life or death. And so... Again, Adam and Eve, they are in the garden and they have this choice put before them of choosing life or death. They're told, if you eat of the tree, surely you will die, but their trust is not in that statement and they do what's right in their own eyes. Israel is 
kind of the opposite of that. At this point in Deuteronomy, they are outside of their garden, and they're told, choose life or death. Then you get Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is a very interesting part of this story, because as we talked about, you know, we're, we're in this Sermon on the Mount. He is at the top of the mountain. He's literally, you know, figuratively sitting in the seat of Moses, and he's talking out to the crowd. And we get really excited about the Sermon on the Mount, don't we? Right? We hear, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Woo! We get, uh, what is it? Uh, blessed are the peacemakers, for they are children of God. Woo! Blessed are those who thunger, or hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Woo! We get, you are the salt and light of the earth. You are a city on the hill that can't be put out. Woo! Yeah! That's awesome! He gets me. I am a city. I am a city on a hill. And then there's kind of this sense of maybe he's understanding where our minds begin to wander to. And he says, hey, hear me out. I'm not here to remove the law, right? That's not going away. I'm here to fulfill that law. And we're like, okay, that's, that's, a little, that, that's fine. I'm cool with that. Sounds good. He says, oh, by the way, now that we're talking about that law, is someone angry with you? Because I've, I've told you not to murder, or you've heard that it said not to murder, and that's, that's true. But on top of that, if you're angry with someone, you are just as equally in line for judgment. So if there is someone who's angry at you, don't sit here listening to a sermon. Don't sing songs in your service. Go and make things right with them. Hey, you in the back, I, I see the way you're looking at her, okay? Let's, let's address that for a second. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but you've already done it in your heart. We get into the Sermon on the Mount, and as we go, we like everything that's said, but as it keeps going and we see and we hear and we realize what that has to do on our life, we really like to camp out in those first 16 verses and maybe tune the rest of it down. But what Jesus is saying at the end of it, I'm going to trip on this rope, what Jesus says is this new state of life. It's, it's this idea that the heart of the Torah, the heart of the law, is looking at our own heart, our own ability, and inclination, however you want to put it. I'm sure that there's a proper Wesleyan way to say that, um, of choosing to live in life and choosing to live in death. To live in life means that we are choosing to trust. We are choosing to trust in God and his own means and methods for revealing what it means in our own context to choose life. So as I'm starting to wrap things up a bit, um, I mentioned that Deuteronomy is really interesting. And I think one of the things beyond just this idea that it's steeped in this idea of blessing and curse and life and death, is the fact that it kind of does a little bit of transcending time. Moses is talking to a whole new generation of Israelites. They 
They weren't the ones who were brought out of Egypt, but yet he talks to them as if they were. He says, when you all were at Sinai and made your covenant with God, when God brought you out of Egypt and you turned away with a golden calf, he presents all of these things as if they themselves have been a part of it. And then at the same time, right, you have this exile generation coming back to Israel who Isaiah had been prophesying to. And so you have the east side of the Jordan, and then you have the people there coming back who are in the promised land saying, look, over there, that's where, God, or where Moses told us to choose life or to choose death. And in the same way, we ourselves are invited into this idea of being at Sinai and making a covenant. We are invited into being a part of sitting there on the edge of the promised land and choosing life or death. We are invited to sit at the feet of Jesus as he gives this Sermon on the Mount about what it means to live in a kingdom lifestyle. I really want to just emphasize to you all what it is to take that in, to take in that identity that we are there, that we get to choose life, that we are given that same opportunity each and every day. And part of that is the individual. There are some of us who we can look to the Sermon on the Mount and we can look to um, just the law as a whole and the, the different things that Moses talks about and we can say, there are areas of my life that I need to be choosing life, whether it be our workplaces, our schools, our relationships, right? We have these different things where we can say, God, I need your help in choosing life. At the same time, though, Paul isn't just talking to a single Corinthian. Moses isn't talking to a single Israelite, but instead, it's to the group. It's to us here. It's not just one of you. It's all of you. It's all of us. What does it mean to choose life? And from my understanding, right, we've had shakeups. There was a pandemic. We lost loved ones. I did not know when I came here in September that Chad was going to be the one to bury my grandfather. But that was such a beautiful and wonderful thing that I'm thankful for. And I'm sure that others, other ones of you have been in that same boat. We've had this denomination split that's you know, demanding of us to choose sides. We look around and some of us are new to this room. I'm one of them. Some of us have been here since the time that Andover started. This is a new chapter for us. This is a new beginning, and with that comes the intentional and deeper questions of saying, what does it mean to be God's church, to be God's community? And so, but there was so much this week as I'm studying and I'm reading this text, and even as we're reading it now, that I'm like, oh, man, that's hitting me a whole different way. Um, oh, yeah, a whole different time. <laughs> but, so Paul was writing Right? Because of this, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but the only one who's anything is God who makes it grow. The one who plants and the one who waters works together, and each one will receive their own reward for their labor. 
We are God's co-workers, and you are God's field, God's building. You, you, <laughs> you, 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 none of you all are God's building. None of you are God's field, but y'all are God's field. Y'all are God's building, right? And so it is God who does that work. It's God who brings forth the life, but are we willing to be the tilled soil? Are we willing to have doors unlocked and lights open as a building? Metaphorically, we have lights on and doors unlocked right now, so good for you. Um, (laughs) But it's a matter of response. It's a matter of saying, yes, Lord, I want to choose life. It's, It's the same thing that's going on with Asbury. This idea of revival is being willing to say yes. And so I know I'm willing to talk with you. I know that Chad is more than willing to talk with you about what that means and what that looks like in a more serious way. But just on the main kind of front, this idea of epiphany, that we could be a people who share the love of Jesus, that we can bring forth the gospel so that nations can know his glory. Are you willing to be a part of that? Are you willing to say yes to that? Will you pray with me? Lord, we just thank you. We thank you that you are a God of new creation. That even in the midst of things that we don't necessarily know how to respond to, you are there with us and you invite us to sit at your feet. You invite us to learn and grow in you in ways that we never would have dreamed possible before. Lord, as we go into this communion, may the liturgy mean something just brand new to us. As we confess and as we repent and as we turn back to you, Lord, may you be our God and may we be your people.